This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So alhamdulillah, um, it's really nice to visit out here again. SoCal is pretty much my favorite place to visit. Um, aside from being home, it's usually the place I like to visit the most. Uh, it's a beautiful part of the country. The weather's great. I have a lot of old friends. And one thing that always uh, excites me and one thing that um, always has me coming back out again and again is the enthusiasm and the response uh, that we that you know whenever we come out here to give talks or lectures or present a seminar or teach a class, the response that the young brothers and sisters give it really um, it invigorates us. It gives us motivation to keep coming back and doing what we do. So Alhamdulillah, um, you know um, we give a variety of different type of uh, talks and lectures depending on the situation or the format of the program. We present seminars. Uh, giving khutbahs is something I engage in quite frequently. And there are formal lectures. And occasionally the opportunity presents itself to have a very informal discussion. Ha- getting to talk very casually, very laid back to a group of very young, intelligent people. And this is one of those uh, opportunities. So inshallah, while we are going to talk about something really amazing and really important lessons from Surah Yusuf, but the tone of the lecture will be a little bit more casual. So my, 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 my presentation here will be a little bit more laid back, a little bit more scaled back. It will be something that hopefully is a little bit more relevant to the youth. Um, Surah Yusuf, I'll get right into the, the topic for today. Surah Yusuf, as we all know, is one of the most profound, beautiful, amazing uh, surahs, parts with, uh, within the Qur'an. The Qur'an in and of itself is a marvel and a miracle. And there are certain parts of the Qur'an that people naturally connect with more, uh, just more easily. They're a little bit more receptive to it. And there are certain parts of the Qur'an that just hold a special place in people's hearts. Uh, Surah Yasin, Surah Rahman. You know, when I say those names, right off, it clicks, it goes off in your head. Surah Yusuf is also one of those things. Uh, is also one of those surahs and one of those parts of the Qur'an that naturally people are just attracted to. They're very receptive to it. You've probably heard lectures, you've read books on it, you've seen YouTube videos on it. It's one of the most uh, viewed videos on YouTube, the recitation of it. So it's just something people really enjoy and people engage with. And one of the things that makes Surah Yusuf so amazing is actually the subject matter which can get kind of looked over sometimes, just a little bit. We become so enamored with its sound and the recitation and the beauty of it from just a purely phonetic or listening experience that we sometimes don't realize the subject matter is what is absolutely profound and extremely beautiful. Talking even about the revelation of it. So the Qur'an as we all know, was it revealed all at once or over a period of time? Over a period of time, alright? And that's, that's the way the Qur'an was revealed. Now, Surah Yusuf is one of those remarkable surahs in the Qur'an, one of the larger surahs in the Qur'an that was literally revealed all at one time from beginning to end. There's a little bit of difference of opinion about a few verses towards the end. Nevertheless, 
the good majority of the surah was revealed all at once. And that's very rare to find that in larger, you know, uh, surahs, larger revelation, to find that huge parts uh, or the vast majority of a bigger surah was revealed all at once. And the reason for that was it was revealed at a very trying time during the lifetime of the Prophet, peace be upon him. He had dealt with the rejection and the difficulty that was being presented to him in Mecca. He had gone to Ta'if to try to preach to these people, try to connect with maybe another group, another area of people that might be a little more supportive of his message. They also rejected him and in fact, they became extremely violent very, very quickly. The, you know, the people of Mecca held their violence back at least from the Prophet ﷺ for a certain amount of time because of some obstructions in their way, uh, such as Abu Talib, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, etc. But the people of Ta'if resorted, resorted to violence very, very quickly, almost immediately. And they were brutal in their violence. You know, when you measure the span of distance from where the Prophet exited the city of Ta'if, where they started stoning him and throwing rocks at him, to the point where he finally stopped, there was a garden there that was owned by some of the chiefs of Quraysh and their family members. When you measure that distance, it's literally three to four miles of a distance. And so imagine just having rocks thrown at you, being pelted with stones for a three-mile walk. And that's why the Prophet was so profusely bleeding and, and his uh, blood was literally f dripping into his, uh, into his shoes and his sandals were made from leather and when that blood dried up they literally became crusted to his feet. And so this is why the Prophet you know, had to go through all of this. So after dealing with so much difficulty and adversity, Allah wanted to inspire the Prophet and let him know he's not alone. Not alone in the sense of course Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there. But at the same time, not alone in the sense that there were other messengers before you who also came, who also had a divine, amazing uh, message to share with humanity, a message that was in the best interest of humanity itself, but yet they rejected him, refused him, and they even persecuted him and oppressed him. So there were other messengers who went through adversity, went through great difficulty in pursuit of the truth and in preaching of the truth. So don't worry, you're not alone in this sense. You belong to a fraternity. You belong to a brotherhood of other messengers and other prophets who have also endured. So this was sort of the inspiration given to the Prophet ﷺ and the consolation provided to him, the emotional. This is something that gets, um, this gets uh, overlooked majorly overlooked when we read the Qur'an, when we understand the Qur'an, when we talk about the Qur'an, is there's an extremely emotional, you could almost say psychological aspect to the Qur'an. The Qur'an speaks to the very emotions we experience. The Qur'an acknowledges, recognizes, and remedies many of the psychological and emotional difficulties that human beings experience. And a messenger and a prophet having divine revelation sent down to them, being the creme de la creme of humanity, being, the, up, being the, the best of creation, are still suspect, are still vulnerable to emotional and psychological distress and finding adversity and difficulty. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would console them through the Qur'an. So the lesson in that for us, aside from the historical perspective, is that the Qur'an can help us, can bless, the Qur'an can help us get through emotional adversity and difficulty as well. Which is a big deal today, it's a big issue today. So, having said that, that talks a little bit about the revelation of the Qur'an. And one thing I wanted to highlight here, because one of the, uh, the things that again, 
is, is a very unique perspective that does not get talked about often enough, is the linguistic miracle, beauty, uh, and magnificence, really, of the Qur'an. So, many places in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts, you know, the Surah Yusuf, like many other surahs in the Qur'an, begin with the disjointed letters. Letters that are, that are said, like, separately. There, you can call them the miracle letters, the disjointed letters, there's technical terminology I'm not going to get into, but letters like Alif Lam, Mim, Yasin, Qaf, Noon, Hamim, alright? It's different because normally in Arabic, when you have, this it does come in handy, alright? When you have three letters, alright? So that's a Mim, and that's a Lam, and that's an Alif, alright? Alif, Lam, and Mim. When you see this in the beginning of Surah Al-Fil, how do you read it? What do you say? Alam, right? You read it together, you combine the letters, right? I'll just ra write a, a random word on the board. Uh, it's written right there, all right? All right? So when you see Ba, Sin, and Mim, three letters written together, how, don't you combine them and join them and read them together? Bismi. Right? Bismi. You combine letters when you see them written together. Now the interesting thing about some of these surahs that I'm talking about is, you see Alif, Lam, and Reem, but you don't combine them together. You don't read them together. You don't piece them together. You don't say Alam. You say Alif, Lam, and Reem. You say three of them separately. The reason everyone's going to say, alright, I know that. That's basic. That's really elementary. Yeah, but sometimes we don't understand how unique that is. That's me standing in front of you, and instead of saying the word lessons, I stand in front of you and I say L, E, S, S. You understand what I'm doing now? It's, it's very different. It's like, what's, what's going on? Is he okay? <laughs> right? You know? So it's, it's like, what's, it's very unique. It's very different. Like, what's happening? It gets your attention most definitely. So that's how Surah, Surah Yusuf starts. And many surahs in the Qur'an begin in this way. Now what's remarkable is, because this is such a miraculous, such a unique feature of the Qur'an. And by the way, when you, combine, when you have letters in this format, what do they mean? We don't know. Only Allah knows best. It's just a very unique literary aspect to the Qur'an, as far as we're concerned. So, you look throughout the Qur'an, any surah that begins in this fashion, in this manner... The very next thing that it talks about, it talks about the Qur'an itself. And it talks about some amazing aspect of the Qur'an. Kitab al mubin This is a self-clarifying book. This is an extremely clear book that is self-clarifying and clarifies other things. Qur'an al-Hakim. This is a book full of wisdom. This is a book that is overflowing with wisdom. Alright? And so every... That book, it has no doubts in it. Absolutely not. Alright, so whenever it begins in this way, it ends up highlighting some miraculous, some amazing aspect of the Qur'an. So, certain places where this phenomenon, this, this very interesting feature of the Qur'an, where this occurs, it begins by saying the word tanzil. Tanzil. Here in Surah Yusuf it says, Inna anzalnahu. Now, tanzil and inzal, they both come from the same root. It means to reveal, to send down. Alright, but there's... Arabic is a language of patterns. Everybody repeat. Arabic is a language of? Patterns. patterns. Very important to understand, alright? I know that's like, we're not here for an Arabic lesson. If you just can, if you can let that thought, let that idea settle into your head, when you do, inshallah, embark on your study of the Arabic language, that's going to help you. That's going to help you a lot. 
Arabic is a language of patterns. Nouns, verbs, everything, there are patterns. And when you fit certain words, when you take words and you mold them and you fit them onto different, different patterns, then the implications of the words, they change. So, tanzil inzal, tanzil inzal. Do they sound kind of like cousins? Right? Do they sound like they're related to each other? Yeah, they are. So, they both mean to send down, but they're different patterns. So when you mold them and put them on different patterns, they mean slightly different things. And by the way, this is referring to classical Arabic. So if you're a speaker of modern standard Arabic and you're sitting here and saying, what are you talking about? Well, there's a difference. This is talking about classical, ancient Arabic. So tanzil, the implication of tanzil is to send something down little by little, bit by bit, piece by piece. Inzal means to send something down all at once. Surah Yusuf starts by saying, Inna anzalnahu. And what did I just tell you? Didn't Allah send down Surah Yusuf all that? Doesn't it fit perfectly and beautifully? So right there, you get a taste of how amazing this surah is and what's to come. Alright? Surah Yusuf, the entire message of Surah Yusuf is captured in one ayah. It's toward the end of Surah Yusuf. Ayah number 111. 111. Allah says, لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ I should begin by saying in ayah number 3, after Allah does this presents this introduction to us, إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ قُرْآنًا عَرَبِيًّا قُرْآنًا عَرَبِيًّا We have sent down this Qur'an in the Arabic language. By the way, remember that. I want you to hold on to that thought. I'm going to talk to you about the Qur'an being in the Arabic language towards the end of the lecture. So remind me if I forget, because I tend to do that. So... Allah says in the very next ayah, ayah number three, We are telling you here. Allah says this is in a present tense form. Allah says it in the present tense form. Even though Allah told us already, right? Why does He tell us in the present tense form? You ever, you know, I'm going to make certain, uh, I'm going to draw certain parallels here. Alright, so just in case if you're a little sensitive to this, don't be offended, I'm just paralleling the ideas, the concepts, not the actual substance and material. When you're watching a TV show or you're watching a movie, all right, and in that movie, they, the, the, the character in the movie is recalling something from their past. In a, t, in, a, in a TV show or a movie, they're recalling something from their past. And they don't just want you to sit there and watch this character tell, the, tell you about something from their past. They want you, the viewer, to literally experience... What happened in the past with this character? What did they literally do? What did they do in the movie or the TV show? Flashback. Flashback, right? Or in Lost, they flash forward. Right? So they, they, they flash back. Right? That threw me off the first time that happened. Actually, I, I stopped watching after a certain point just because it was too much to keep up with. I said, let them get done with their whole thing and I'll figure it out. Right? But uh, So my younger brother was still continuing to watch forward. And one time I just walked in and... They're showing like, you know, something else. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's another flashback. Oh, it's a flash forward. It's like, stop! Stop! Don't confuse me anymore. I can't take this. So, so flashbacks, right? So what it literally does is, you know, like in the old TV, cheesy, like bad production TV shows, there's like, the, right? It does that little thing where it becomes wobbly, the screen or whatever you want to call it, right? And then all of a sudden now they're showing you back in the, their past, they're in high school. And they're literally playing out a scene in high school rather than the character just tell you about it because they want you to experience it. So what it does is it takes the past and turns it into what? The present. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala many times tells us about things in the past, but He says it in the present tense. Because He doesn't want you to just view it as something in the past. He wants you to take this journey that's beginning now. نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ أَحْسَنَ الْقَصَصِ We are telling you. We are narrating to you. We are relating to you. أَحْسَنَ الْقَصَصِ The most excellent of stories, the best of stories. So take this journey along with where this goes. Go along on this journey. Don't be afraid to kind of get carried away and put yourself there in that place and see this happening right before your very eyes. So Allah tells us, okay, we're about to tell you, we are telling you right now the best of stories, the most amazing story you've ever heard. Now I'm going to jump, kind of get off topic just a little bit real quick. So the Quran is telling us stories. Is it telling us stories for the sake of telling us stories? Like is it, you know, is it, is it just entertainment? Is it just something to do when you're bored? Like what's the point of the story? So in ayah number 111, the one I originally started off by talking about, that I told you captures the entire gist, the, the message of the surah. Allah says, لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ عِبْرَةٌ That most definitely, no doubt about the fact that in their stories, in these stories, ibra is a profound realization. Not just a message, but like a realization where you get like slapped in the face, you wake up. Right? There's a profound, life-changing, life-altering realization in these stories. But only for people of intelligence. People who have the ability to critically think. People that will roll up their sleeves and get into it. Like the lecture we just came from. I, I mean, I was very intrigued. I was very engaged. And the, the brother, Masha, he was making the presentation. He was into it. He was passionate what he was talking about. So you have to get into it. Right? So people who are willing to use their God-given ability to think, to analyze, to critique, to understand, and will delve into this, will jump into this, and deal with it head on, open mind, open heart. For them, it's a, there's a profound realization waiting for them in these stories. This is not just some random you know, uh, story or some random you know, fantasy that somebody conjured up in their mind. That they dreamed up. No, this isn't some piece of fiction. Rather, this affirms reality. This affirms reality, explains to people what is in front of them, what they are dealing with. And this provides a very detailed, elaborate structure that people can live their lives within. All the key essential core questions that people have, that human beings have, are answered therein. Wahudan, and it is guidance, through and through. And we talk about the word guidance all the time, and it, it's developed like this aura. It is a very blessed word, it's a very profound word, but it kind of develops this aura of guidance. Like it's a big word, right? We never think about what it means. In the Arabic language, very literally, the root of the word, it literally means to like hold somebody's hand and walk them along. Alright? Like, uh, you know like bl a blind person has a walking stick? You seen a walking stick? Alright, a walking stick in Arabic is called hadiyah coming from the same root in classical Arabic. Because it shows that blind person the way, but literally shows them where to go and where not to go. That's what guidance means. Where should I walk and where should I not walk? Where should I go, where should I not go? Where will I trip and where will I be okay? It is guidance. Warahma, And it is a mercy, a divine form of mercy. 
but only for people who are willing to believe. People who are willing to believe. And again, interestingly, I'm going to get into the specifics of the language of the ayah. Yu'minun again is in the present tense or slash future tense form. Mudari'ah form. Again, the implication is the willingness to believe. Not people who have believed. They have to have the willingness to believe. And what literally, what, 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 what's a prerequisite to being willing to believe in something? What does that mean? That means that when you approach something, you approach it without any preconceived ideas, notions, assumptions. Right? You, you approach it very openly. Like, I, I, I'm willing to take this and approach it without any preconceived notions, any ideas of my own. And I will take it for what it is. And so they have to be willing to believe. And that captures the gist of what this is about. It is guidance, it is a mercy, and it is something that helps us deal with our problems today. One of the biggest challenges of the Qur'an, and something that you know, not only frustrated me as a young person growing up, because alhamdulillah through my parents and through the community I grew up in and some of my early experiences, the Qur'an was something that I was very intrigued by, something I was very passionate about, even from childhood. It was something that I felt, always felt I had a very close connection with, or at least that I ne- needed to have a close connection with. Alright? And one of the frustrations I initially set in, and something that I realized, and something that uh, later on I turned it into a personal objective and mission of mine, whatever level I was working at, whether it was my youth group, or my masjid, or the khutbah I was giving, or the seminar I was teaching, or the MSA I was talking to. That making the Qur'an relevant, like in the sense of opening people's eyes to the relevance of the Qur'an. We don't have to make it relevant. It is relevant. But just opening people's eyes to the relevance of the Qur'an and making people understand it speaks to you. It has a solution for your problems. It's talking to you right here, right now. And understanding is very important. So when we read, when you, we won't have a lot of time to delve into the details of the, uh, of the, of the entire story of Yusuf salam. But whenever you do get the chance, and please use this short little brief talk, discussion that we're having here as motivation, if nothing else. Let it encourage you, let it motivate you to now go sit down and decide to make a study out of Surah Yusuf. And see what you can learn from this. So when you do end up reading it in detail, you're going to see this amazing journey that this amazing man goes through. Child, young man, and then a grown, full grown man. That he goes through this amazing journey and all these amazing experiences. And never for once sit back and turn it into, okay, a man a long, long time ago in a faraway place, this happened to him. Don't let it turn into that. See, what did he experience? What am I experiencing? How did he overcome that experience? How can I overcome this experience? And where did, when he had the willingness to overcome, and he took the right resources that Allah made available to him, where he was able to reach, and inshallah, I can get to those same points as well. And let it serve as that type of an inspiration, and let it guide you through your journey in life, and help you through your difficulties and your experiences. Because in Surah Yusuf, you're going to see something amazing. You're going to see this child being raised with so much love and affection by his father. Alright, you're going to see a child being raised with the love, the attention, the affection that a child deserves. Uh, every child needs to have. So imagine being in that type of a family experience. Having loving parents who care for you, who watch over you, who take care of you. And they love you with all their heart. And they worry about you all the time. So going from that, and then ending up where? Being tossed into an abandoned well, and literally being left to, maybe even for dead, 
possibly dead or just maybe found by somebody and just, you know, taken away. And sitting there, imagine being a child, sitting in like a dark well, the bottom of a well, and just sitting there, screaming or crying, calling and looking, and nobody's there. You know, just to share a personal experience with you, to, to talk to you about what, what a child would go through. I'm pretty sure everybody's got some memory, maybe where they kind of lost their parents for a minute. When they were young, they lost their parents in the grocery store. Or they kind of ended up in a dark alley somewhere. Or they were being chased by a dog, right? Everybody's got some type of an experience, right? So imagine that. And being in that type of a place. Then from there, not just being rescued, but being given, he was sold, which is another part of the difficulty. But being sold to where? Being taken in by who? By royalty. And being raised in the lap of luxury. Being treated, Right? Being taken as literally a son of their own. They've, they've, made, him, they've, they've made him like one of their own children. Right? So being raised as somebody's own child in the lap of luxury by very refined, educated, good people. So again, there's some level of safety now. There's, there's certain blessings that are surrounding him now. But where does that lead again? That leads back to where? He ends up in prison. Jailed. Being thrown into prison. And literally like they say, being thrown into prison, the key was thrown away. Right? For something he didn't do. Wrongfully accused. Being thrown into prison. Without any recourse. There's no, appeal, there's no, there's no appeals court. Right? There's no, nobody that he can go and he can talk to. Or he can complain to. Or he can have this wrong that was done to him. He can have it right. No. No one. No, no, nothing. But then Allah brings him back out of that prison to where? Brings him not just to a position of power. But a position of royalty itself. Royalty, control, authority, and power. And then being reunited with his family. You see the up and down, up and down, up and down journeys going through. And then now think about your own life. Right? There are good times and there are bad times. There are difficult times and then there are great times. And this is something that we all go through. Everybody experiences, everybody deals with this. Right? But then we look at the life of Yusuf and the story of Yusuf. And how I can draw inspiration from that. How I can overcome that. How I can make it through that. And once we look at that, once we observe that, now let's take into consideration what are some of the challenges that do present themselves to us on a day-to-day -day basis? R things that, issues that people are dealing with right now? And what are some of the solutions provided in Surah Yusuf? So one of the biggest issues we have today in our community, one of the biggest problems we have today, is the issue of family. There's a lot of turmoil within the home today. Muslim, non-Muslim alike. But since we're, this is an MSA lecture, we can even talk specifically more about the Muslim situation of families. This is something, I'm a lot older than you guys, by the way. Alright? <laughs> I'm a lot older than you guys. Alright? The white hair does all the talking. So, I, and, I, and like the brother mentioned at the beginning of the lecture, I was born and raised in Texas, in Dallas. So, the reason why I mentioned that is, I remember the times of our communities and our families, because I'm talking about family here. I remember the times of our families, Muslim families, from way back in the day. Very, very early days. And one thing that was very interesting about the very early days of Muslims 
Muslim families, was that we thought we were immune, we were impervious to a lot of the turmoil that was going on within families and homes, the dysfunction that families were experiencing all around us, in the other faith-based or the other communities, non-Muslim communities in general, that what was going on in their homes and in their families, we thought we were immune to that. That was about them and not us. I even remember the time that one of my teachers, one of my sheikhs, he was visiting, and he was going around Ramadan giving some guest lectures, and so of course he came to the masjid where I was leading Salat al-Taraweeh. I, I was really, really young at that time. It was early on in my studies. And he came in Ramadan and he was giving a lecture and he was talking about families. And he was talking about issues within the family, within the home. And he started to specifically highlight certain issues and challenges that come up in homes and in families. And he said that some of these issues you might not be dealing with right now, but they're right around the corner. Don't doubt it. And the reason why he was saying that, not just to dog the people, but then say, these are the things you need to take into consideration. These are the steps you need to take right now to protect your homes, to protect your families, to protect your children, to protect your youth. And the experience of a home and a family, right? I mean, I was, I, I really enjoyed today, by the way, because I got in a little bit early, and I found out y'all had a flurry of activities going on on campus today. And so before I went to the... Uh, the, the lecture on Palestine. Before that, I went to the lecture at the Diversity Forum. Sister was speaking there. And um, I noticed when they asked the questions about family, when they asked, uh, excuse me, when they asked the questions about identity and, and who you are and what makes you who you are, pretty much all of the panelists brought up family. So family is very important as an experience of a human being. All right? So... I remember he was talking about these issues of family and some of the challenges and what are some of the remedies and the cures and the, 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 the safe, the foolproofs and the, 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 the blocks that we can put up to protect ourselves from issues in family. And I remember people got angry. People got angry. So what are you talking about this stuff? You're like divorce or children rebelling against their parents and youth kind of going off the wall or whatever it was. And he was talking about these things and people got angry. What are you talking about? Those aren't our problems. We don't deal with those things. We don't have to deal with that stuff. So there was this very oblivious type attitude towards dysfunction within the home or turmoil within the family. But nevertheless, we know it's a reality. And if there was any doubt in anyone's mind today, here and now, we have no doubts about the fact that it's a personal problem. It's an issue within our own homes as well. Muslim families as well are dealing with this. So that's a major issue. That's a major thing that's going on and it's something that everyone's got to deal with and it impacts us. Big time it impacts us. Right? It can literally stunt your productivity in all other aspects and areas of your life. So now what's the solution? So we know that a basic solution to solving a lot of the issues and the problems is a one word solution, especially within the home and within families. And that is communication. Right? People might have grudges, might have problems, might have issues. But if they never are willing to sit down, and whether you take into consideration family counselors or therapists or imams or whatever, whoever you're going to, to help you solve your problem, what's one of the first steps that they take in order to help solving this problem? If you people can't figure out a way to talk to each other and work out your issues, they sit with you and they make you talk to each other. Right? And they initiate the conversation. They drive that communication. Because until and unless that communication occurs, problem's not going to be solved. Now we see something in the story of Yusuf. We see the same issue of communication. Right? So Yusuf alayhi salam has a great relationship with his father. 
amazing relationship with his dad. Right? And the father-son relationship, I mean, that's like, right? TVs and movies are made about that stuff, right? Right? So it's the stuff of legends, right? So he has a great relationship with his dad. How does he manage that? How is our relationship so great? When Yusuf sees the dream, when he sees the dream early on, when he sees that dream, who's the first person he goes and he talks to about it? He talks to his dad. There's that, 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 that feeling of being able to talk without you know, any f- fear, any consequences uh, of retribution or consequences, without that whole concern. He feels he can go and he can just talk. He can share a very, very amazing experience he's just had with his dad. Ya abati. Right? And then the, even the tone, the Qur'an, again, I, I showed you, and I did that for a reason. I highlighted the very specific, beautiful usage of words within the Qur'an, so that you understand that nothing is by coincidence. Nothing is just by random. Alright? The word that's being used is not my father. It's my dear father. My beloved father. Now that sounds very formal, right? So let's use it in our tone. It's like saying, hey dad. Right? Hey pops. Right? Um, my kids, I have two daughters. Three and one. They call me Abu, right? And in fact, uh, the older one who talks more now, I've trained her to not call me Abu, I've trained her to call me my Abu. <laughs> right? So I, say, so I say, Salam Maryam, and she responds by saying, Salam my Abu, right? <laughs> and my, my wife is like, that sounds so odd. Why do you teach her to say that, right? It's like, just because it's endearing, right? I, it's, I, I love it just hearing it out of her mouth when she says, my Abu, right? So... But anyway, so whatever that endearing term is that you have with your, with your dad, right? So he uses that endearing term, abati, dear, dear father, right? My abu, right? And he says that and now he shares. I saw this in a dream and the stars were making sujood to me and the sun and the moon and all the... Wow! Right? So that, that communication is open there. And that leads to a very healthy, fruitful relationship. So much so that... Now fast forwarding... When Yusuf's long gone, and he's been gone for years, even you could even claim decades, just because of the, the, the maturing process where he's at at his life, literally decades have gone by. What does Yaqub the father still do? He still sits around and he cries. So I miss my son. Like that type of a relationship. Not like, thank goodness, he's gone. No, no, nobody does that. No good parent does that. But nevertheless, you get my point. That relationship is there. And he's yearning and he's eager to meet his father. Right? So that relationship is there because communication is there. The Quran teaching us this. Okay, but at the same time, there's dysfunction in this family as well. Where's the dysfunction? The brothers. brothers. Alright, brothers are resentful, jealous, and eventually jealousy leads to resentment. They're resentful towards their younger brother, Joseph, Yusuf, which makes them also resentful towards their father. That he favors him and he does this and this. Now rather now over here the lines of communication have become stifled. They're not talking to Yusuf. Okay, Yusuf's a child. But they're at the same time, they're not going and talking to their fathers either. Right? To their father. They're not going and talking to him and clarifying matters. So what does that lead to? The stifling of communication, the lack of communication leads to what? It leads to worse things. It's not sort of like, yeah, everybody will continue to coexist. Don't worry about it. You're making such a big deal. I don't have to sit there and have some awkward, weird conversation like, hey, I like you, I like you too, right? Like, I I don't want to have to deal with that, right? So why don't everybody just mind their own business? We don't get along. 
all right, everybody just accept reality, go back into your corners. Right? No, no, no. Because when you go back to your corners, eventually you're not going to be able to sit there in your corner. Things are going to boil over and then something bad is going to happen. And something bad did happen where they kidnapped their younger brother and they literally threw him down a well. That's the, uh, and in fact, the Quran even tells us before they took that drastic of a step, they actually had conversations about maybe just killing him. Right? And they fake his death. They take a bloody shirt back to their dad saying, you got eaten by a wolf. I mean, things got bad because they couldn't talk to each other. And it was simple sibling rivalry type of thing, right? Just bro older brothers being jealous of the attention the younger brothers get. But look how bad things got when communication's not there. And the, the more real relevant lesson I want to share with this crowd, it's a younger crowd, a college crowd, and that is in the communication between the father and the son, in the case of Yusuf, you see Yusuf going and talking to the father. In the situation with the brothers with the father, the brothers are not going and talking to their father. It teaches us a very valuable lesson. Sure, parents are in charge. They're the ones that are nurturing and raising and teaching and uh, taking care of things. But at the same time, the responsibility of communication falls equally on the children, the youth, just as much as it does onto their parents. And our generation, well, I shouldn't say our, I mean, I know because there's, there's different t uh, people in here, but I'll speak for my generation. For my generation, which was the children of immigrants, which might be the perspective of a lot of people here. The children of immigrants, it was a whole other dynamic. Uh, the reason for that is there's always a generational gap. There's always a generational gap. There always will be. All right? But on top of that, when you add the other huge cavern, which is them being from a completely different part of the world, then from where we're at, and different culture and a different experience and everything, now you just, it exacerbates the problem. It makes it into an even bigger issue and a bigger problem. Bigger area that we have to cross and we have to traverse in order to reach in the middle and talk to each other. Right? And in those situations, guess what? You might be frustrated with your immigrant parents because they just don't get it. God! Right? They just don't get it. But what you have to understand, what you also have to take into consideration is, they're just as confused and frustrated as you are. Because they literally don't even know what you're saying sometimes. Like, I don't even know what he just said. Right? So they, they don't even get your perspective. Like, what's wrong with these kids? Right? So what you have to realize is, you sometimes will have to take that step. You'll have to step forward and say, just communicate, just talk. Right? And that's what we see happening here in the story of Yusuf Another very important, relevant, I know I got kind of carried away, I told you I have the tendency to do that. So, the next issue I wanted to talk about, very, very relevant uh, issue within Surah Yusuf, especially for this type of crowd, and that is temptations, desires, uh, particularly in terms of, you know, the opposite gender and things like that. They're, they're not something that are new, not something that are current issues. It's not something that is more, um, it's a more modern issue. Not at all. But rather, temptations, desires, it's a part of being, it's a part of life, it's a part of living, it's a part of the experience of being a human being. And, and this manifests itself in the, in the story of Yusuf salam in a very interesting way. In an extremely captivating way. Uh, fashion. And that is Yusuf, Allah tells us in the Quran Surah number, uh, ayah number 22, 
Allah tells us, وَلَمَّا بَلَغَ أَشُدَّهُ وَاسْتَوَىٰ آتِنَاهُ حُكْمًا وَعِلْمًا وَكَذَلِكَ نَزِلْ مُحْسِنِينَ Basically, Allah tells us that when Yusuf matured, so not, not only did he physically mature, بَلَغَ أَشُدَّهُ He physically matured into a young man now, but at the same time, آتِنَاهُ حُكْمًا وَعِلْمًا He was mentally and emotionally mature as well now. Right? The complete package, right sisters? Right? So, right? <laughs> so it's not just his... This grown man who's like a big boy, right? So it's not that. It's the total package. It's a complete package. This is a mature, grown, sophisticated individual. All right? So obviously, he, people are going to find him attractive. And um, Now this is where it gets kind of touched. We're talking about a messenger of Allah. But there are going to be natural, certain tendencies or inclinations of his own. And Allah tells us about the, the woman, who's, the, the, the family that had taken him in. The woman who had basically raised him was now extremely attracted to him. And she comes after him. And she concocts, and she uh, puts together this elaborate plan at a time when no one's around, where she can corner him in the house, and she comes on to him. Alright? And, I, I mean, she, she, she tempts him. Now, what happens at this point is very, very interesting. Alright, first of all, first thing I want to establish is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَقَدْ هَمَّتْ بِهِ She was, for all intents and purposes, she was attracted to him. She intended towards him, and she had a full intention of him. She was attracted towards him. وَهَمَّ بِهَا But very interesting. Now Allah separates them, because He doesn't say, وَلَقَدْ هَمَّا بِهِمَا Right? They, they were both attracted to each other. He separates us. She was attracted to him. And he also, naturally, because of being a man, he also had an interest in her. Right? Now, while Allah separates the two, because the nature of both of those things are very, very different. Yusuf's is a very natural human reaction. Hers is a very elaborate, lustful, kind of uh, uh, an unfaithful type of attempt at trying to attain him. Right? She's married. And, and so she's being, she's cheating on her husband. She's being unfaithful. And this is very lustful on her part and she's making up all these plans and being deceitful. So it's completely different the nature of the two. But nevertheless, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does clearly say the simple fact, He felt a certain element of attraction towards her. You know? Being, being a human being, being a man, He felt it. And that tells us something interesting again. Being religious, being pious, being good, being close to Allah, being a decent person, does not preclude you from feeling tempted in certain situations. I know that we're here we're talking about the specific, like a sexual type situation, alright, that of the genders and whatnot, but you can even broaden the scope of this. Feeling temptation, feeling tempted in certain situations, because I know temptations today, and especially on campus, are of... Uh, of a diverse kind, right? There's multiple different things that go on, different evils or different temptations that are occurring. And so feeling some form of just natural, just immediate, just inclination towards it, doesn't make it wrong, like doesn't make you a bad person. You're a human being, that's all that it means. It means you're socially functioning. It means you're emotionally sound, you're psychologically okay. That's all it means. That's all that that means. What is important though is what's the reaction. So you feel this initial inclination towards something. 
you want to take this very, very drastic step. Alright, so you, that initial urge that you felt, alright, that's fine. And Allah is showing us an example of a very blessed, amazing messenger of Allah, who Allah protected from committing any sin. That even He, at some level, in a very human form, He felt that initial urge. But how was it managed? And about that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, قَالَ مَعَاذَ Allah. The first thing He said, the first words He uttered, the very in first reaction He had, was He said, I take protection with Allah. I, I, I seek, you know it's a formal word, I don't want it, but I take refuge with Allah. Like I go to Allah for protection. Meaning Allah is the one I think about right now. He's the one that I absorb my, my heart and my mind with right now at this very moment. I'm feeling tempted, I'm a human being, certain weaknesses are built into me, but Allah is free of any weaknesses. I'm imperfect, He's absolutely perfect. And He can get me through this situation. That's His initial thought, that's His initial reaction. So the relevant lesson for us is, just the urge, just the temptation, just the desire, don't, don't feel that that makes you a bad person. The reason why I'm, I'm kind of harping on this point is because that's a huge trick of shaitan. That the instant you feel a certain urge or a temptation or a desire, oh, what a horrible person you are. You're a horrible human being. You're just disgraceful. You're sinful. You're filthy. You're dirty. No, 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 not at all. The Messenger of Allah felt something initially. But what's going to make or break you is how you manage that situation. How you handle that. What's your reaction? If you go to Allah and you find comfort and solace and peace and protection with Allah and in your connection with Allah, you'll make it out of there unscathed and okay. Alright? And that's the next lesson that I talks about it, that, that Surah Yusuf tells us about is, don't worry. Alright? It's a, it's a part of being a human being. Temptations. But learn to overcome them. And the primary thing that will get you through those difficulties is your connection with Allah. And I'm going to say this, now this is where it's going to sound like a very ritualistic, a very typical type of preaching. But I want you to take a different view of it based on what we just discussed. One of the basic things that builds your connection with Allah is your five times a day prayer. Prayer is extremely practical, very manageable by the way. It takes five minutes. Five minutes, five times a day. How much does that add up to? Math fail. Alright? <laughs> UCLA, not a math school. But um, So, it, it's 25 minutes, right? The average sitcom, how long does it last? 21 to 22 minutes. 21 to 22 minutes is the average sitcom. Praying five times a day takes as much time as it does to watch friends. At least watch something a little bit intelligent, right? So, <laughs> right? But for the brothers, even, like very, or even sisters, I don't know, I'm just generalizing here, but Sports Center, right? So you watch the same highlights over and over again. In cycle and in loop, right? So take one Sports Center off a day. And that's five times a day for that's how practical, that's how manageable it is. I know there's a better prayer in your, you can pray all these raka'at and nafil and sunnah. And I'm talking about, let's just get started, right? Down the right road. Five minutes, five times a day. And that will give you a connection with Allah that nobody can get in the way of.
no temptation can ever rip you away from that connection. It's a solid bond. Right? Next issue that Surah Yusuf brings up, that again is very, very practical, very relevant to us today, is it's just actually just a couple of ayat down, because it's still related to the same situation, same scenario. Okay, so I'm going to do this real fast. So this woman, very powerful, rich woman, you know, the wife of the finance minister, etc., etc., who came on to him, she then, you know, uh, the whole situation basically gets discovered, uh, he gets exonerated, absolved of any wrongdoing, they find out she did it wrong, but rumor spreads around town, other elite people in that society start talking about it, oh, did you hear what she did? She threw herself at some little, like, slave boy type of thing, and, right? And it's going out of control. So she says, I gotta save my reputation. So she gets together all these women, everybody who's talking uh, nonsense about her, or actually truth, but all these people that are talking stuff about her, and she gets them all together and presents Yusuf. And they're all like, they, 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 the Quran talks about it, they're all like, okay, we understand. Um, <laughs> Alright? So they're like, alright, we get it. And, um, and then something really unfortunate happens. They basically become further emboldened. They become supportive of this woman. And they basically threaten Yusuf. Listen, you've got to get with the program. There's a certain way we handle things around here. Alright? We're in charge, you're not. You do what we tell you to do. Regardless of whether you agree with it or not. And if you're not willing to do this, then there's going to be severe consequences for this. And so Yusuf salam, and they even threatened throwing him in prison and whatnot. Yusuf salam, at that time, he actually makes a dua, a supplication. Again, he's connecting to Allah, right? Things, things are getting difficult. What is the first thing that he does? He, this teaches us another lesson. You don't even have to do something as formal as prayer. Just talk to Allah. Right where you're standing. Where you're standing at that time, at that situation, it seems like the world is falling down on top of you. You don't have to go and formally pray or find a masjid or find an imam to talk. Just talk to Allah. Just say, oh Allah, you got to help me. I, I'm stuck here. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. So he says, Rabbi He basically says that I'd rather go to prison than what these people are telling me to do. Alright, so first we learn just talk to Allah whenever things get difficult. But the second thing we learn kind of a difficult lesson. Now here's where things start to get. It's the bitter pill we have to swallow. Sometimes making the right choice might come with certain consequences. Like you won't get to go and hang out with those people. You might not be able to keep company with those kind of people anymore. You might kind of get excluded from this certain clique of people. Whatever the consequences are, there sometimes are certain consequences that come with making the right choice. I had lots of friends back in the day that I would have loved to still hang out with. They were cool guys, they were fun guys. But a certain point came in our life where it was, for, it was a fork in the road. And if I wanted to hang out with the cool guys, the fun guys, the guys I grew up with, and literally, I'm not saying ostracize people, cut off people from your life, but there's a difference between somebody you just say salam to and somebody that you hang out with every other day. So a time came where I had to make that choice. Do I want to be at these places? In, even be in, the, be in that place where people are engaging in that type of activity. Or would I rather protect my connection with Allah? And you got to make that choice. And Yusuf salam made that choice. Alright? Real quickly, next point. So he's in prison now. 
that's a tough place to be in for something you didn't do, a crime you didn't commit. I'm being stuck in prison with all these criminal types. Filthy criminal types. Right? I want you to get the tone of what I'm saying here. You have this amazing, very moral, upright person raised in the house of a messenger. By a messenger, alright? And this person who refused to commit just a very... It's a, it's a private crime, right? It's a private personal crime. They weren't telling him to go and massacre a bunch of people. They weren't telling him to go and rob a bank. He was being called to commit fornication. It's a personal, private sin. But he refused to do that. Such an upright, such an amazing person. Now he's in prison with all these criminals. That might be a tough place to be in, right? Now, I want you to observe the demeanor of Yusuf. You know what Yusuf engages in initially? Immediately, when he gets there, and that's where he's at now, that's the situation that he's in? Fine. But once again, making the best of the situation. He starts dialoguing with these people. He starts talking to these people. And trying to reach out to the better side of these people. In ayah number 38 through 40. He's reaching out to the better side of these people, the sensibility within these people, and he starts talking to them. And the first thing he talks to them about is the oneness of Allah. That isn't it better that you worship one Lord? One divine, merciful, caring, compassionate Lord. Rather than all these idols that are just things that you've made up, names that you've concocted and created, figments of your imagination or your forefathers' imagination. Right? Rather than that, worship the one divine supreme Lord and Master, Allah. The one who created you, the one who made you as amazing as you are. All your physical abilities, your intellect, your talent. Right? Everything that you have, He gave it to you. Shouldn't you be thankful to Him? Shouldn't you try to connect with Him? Right? And He starts talking to them and He actually starts making a difference in their lives. And so another very valuable lesson that we learn is sometimes you might be in a situation that you might not think is very ideal. Make the best of that situation. And another thing that is very relevant to us is the obligation, the responsibility we have of sharing the truth that we have in our lives, sharing that with everyone else. Now I'm not telling you to, you know, prosthetize or, you know, get in people's faces and stand up and with a, with a boom mic and start yelling in the courtyard, right? I'm not telling you to make people uncomfortable. But develop a relationship with people. Talk to people. You know, this is an intellectual, this is an educational, academic environment. Talk to people. Have, have conversations with people. And then present what you have, the code that you live by. What, what, what makes you feel so content, so satisfied with who you are. Share that with people. People will appreciate you for it. And so that's another very valuable lesson. Yusuf is doing da'wah. The technical word is da'wah. Yusuf is doing da'wah in prison. We can't do da'wah in our personal lives. Talk to your friends, talk to your classmates, your co-workers, your roommates. Just talk to people. And then the last thing I wanted to share here, and I realize it's getting kind of long, but last thing. And this is one of the, actually the main things I wanted to talk about, but I got carried away with everything else. Ayah number, verse number 92. Talks about when everything is said and done. Everything is said and done. The situation has all been resolved. The brothers of Yusuf had come and come back and come and gone back. And, and he's told them who he is. And now his father, you know, is, is on the way. And his father is even coming. And the whole family is being reunited. And everything's going to be alright. 
everything's okay, happy ending. But before that happy ending happens, isn't there a very difficult, awkward conversation that has to happen? Think about it, guys. Between who? Between Yusuf and the brothers, right? I mean, they got to figure this out. I mean, Yusuf's standing there. He's in charge now. He's, in a, he's the authority. And in front of him are standing his brothers, the same guys, all right, who, however many so years ago, had literally snatched him up, threw him in a well, and left him for dead. Now he has the upper position, he has the upper hand, he's in charge, he has the authority, and he's standing over them saying, alright, how are we going to handle this? Alright, so who's going to jump first? No, so, how do, how, what do we, <laughs> right? so, what do we do? And so the brothers are also standing there, and they're saying, لَقَدْ آثَرَكَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْنَا so, it's obvious who was right and who was wrong because Allah gave you the upper hand over us today. Allah honored you above us today. You are honorable, we're disgraced. You were honest and we're a bunch of liars. Right? We're wrong. We admit we were completely wrong. We're big time criminals. We messed up. So what does he say now? He says, لا تثريب عليكم اليوم which in our context, in our, in our lingo, translates to, I have no beef with you today. <laughs> right? You go to USC, no, so, right? So, he says, I have no beef with you today. I have no axe to grind with you. I got no issues and no problems with you. Nothing. Allah will forgive you. He is the most merciful out of all those people who are capable of showing mercy. He is the most merciful of anyone capable of showing mercy. I could show you mercy, but Allah is more, way more merciful. The most merciful. You talk to Him. You deal with Him. I personally don't. I don't want anything. I'm okay. And now I want you to, I want to fast forward you to our messenger, Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he had a very similar journey. The journeys of ups and downs. He was also wronged by people who were also his own people. Were they not? Quraysh, people of Makkah, weren't they his own people? Abu Lahab was his own uncle. Right? Abu Jahl, Abu Sufyan, these were people, tribesmen. These were people who, you know, ate and broke bread with his dad and his uncles and stuff. Right? So, these were his people. And they wronged him. And they did horrible things to him. His, what, it, the oldest of the Prophet daughter, Zainab. My niece is named Zainab. She was born two months ago, mashallah. So, his daughter Zainab, his eldest daughter, who was actually old enough to remember the very early, early days of preaching in Mecca, because there's a very beautiful narration that talks about this young man who later on would become Muslim standing with his grandfather at the top of a hill looking down over the valley of Mina. And they see this kind of a little bit taller, kind of this tall, very handsome man going around from tent to tent, talking to people, <clears throat> preaching to people, engaging with people. All right? And they, they're rejecting him and they're cursing him and they're throwing things at him and they're disrespecting him. And he does this, he just spends all day long doing this. And he finally is leaving the camp 
the whole the campsite at the end of the day and there's this beautiful little girl standing there holding a, a bowl of water in her hands and she has tears streaming down her face she's crying because she sees her father's condition and he washes his hands in the water and washes his face with the water and he's, he's consoling her he's telling her don't cry don't worry Allah won't let my word go to waste and there's this there that, that, that young boy and his grandfather watching this whole scene unfold that's who Zainab was she was killed by the people of Mecca she was actually pregnant she was leaving Mecca to go to Medina. They attacked her. They came after her. They injured her. She lost the child that she was carrying. And she developed a wound that was so severe, she never really recovered from it. And she eventually ended up dying from complications from that same wound years later. She lived with that wound for years. They did that to her. They assassinated, they killed in cold blood and then mutilated the body of his uncle. Who was like a father figure to him, like an older brother figure to him. They've done horrible things. This is just the beginning. This is just the top surface, the top level. So many things they have done. 20 years after his message started, 20 years of non-stop torture and oppression and aggression, 20 years later came the day of Fatah Mecca, the conquest of Mecca. The Prophet arrived in Mecca. He's in charge now. He's the authority. He has the upper hand. He's standing in front of these people. All the people of Mecca, the Quraysh, those same people that had done all those things to him, they're all standing in front of him today and they're begging and pleading and crying and wringing their hands and saying, what are you going to do to us? Remember, you're the best amongst us and your father was the best amongst us and your grandfather. And right they're begging and pleading. And the Prophet ﷺ stands before them and he says, I will say to you today, like my grandf- like like uh, like Yusuf said to his brothers, I will stand before you today and say to you what Yusuf said to his brothers: La I have no beef with you people today. Go and find your comfort, your solace, your peace with Allah. As far as I'm concerned, I don't need anything from you. And he set that prophetic example that transcends time and place, that set the bar, that set the standard of how a Muslim should be. Dignified, generous, compassionate, merciful, and forgiving. And that's a big issue today. It's a big issue today. As how our faith is portrayed and how it's perceived. And the teachings of our faith, the sources, forget about people. The sources, where our deen comes from, the Qur'an and the life of the messenger. And how it's portrayed and how it's perceived. And this is the source of our deen and our religion. And this is the example and the standard that it sets for us. And the final thing, and I'll close with this remark now, is at the very end of Surah Yusuf, I mentioned ayah number 111. I'll talk to you again about the linguistic miracle of the Qur'an and the lesson we get from there, from ayah number 110. Right there at the end of Yusuf. Allah says, حَتَّى إِذَا stay أَسَرْ رُسُلُوا وَظَنُّوا أَنَّهُمْ قَدْ كُذِبُوا جَاءَهُمْ نَصْرُنَا فَنُجِّيَ مَنْ نَشَاءُ وَلَا يُرَدُّ بَأْسُنَا عَنِ الْقَوْمِ until a time and a place, a situation came that the messengers became very, very disheartened, but not in the mercy of Allah. They became very, very disheartened about the situation of the people. They became extremely frustrated with the people. And they were pretty sure. They had come to the conclusion that these people have completely rejected us, refused us, written us off, and they don't want to hear what we have to say. And they will never want to hear what we have to say. These people have made up their minds, deal is done, just there's no point to this anymore. 
It's an exercise in futility. It's just pointless now. Alright? Now, one thing that's interesting here from a linguistic perspective, the word that Allah uses is Isteyasa. Isteyasa. The root of this word, Yas, means, like what I said, to, to lose hope or become frustrated with something. Isteyasa. Yaisa. Isteyasa. Doesn't this Isteyasa word sound bigger? Now, a rule of the Arabic language is when the word gets bigger, when you increase the letters in the word, you increase the meaning of the word. Again, Arabic is a language of what, everyone? Patterns. Patterns. That's why I said that in the very beginning. So this is a more exaggerated pattern, a more sophisticated pattern, if you will. What's the implication of this exaggerated or sophisticated pattern? The implication can be many. In this particular case, the implication is hyperbole, exaggeration. When the messengers became very, very frustrated, extremely frustrated. I mean, things were just beyond this. Things couldn't be fixed. They're just done. There's no point to this anymore. All right, now imagine that level of frustration. So Allah uses a very strong word, not a common word, a very strong word to express the frustration that the messengers felt, the prophets felt. Then when Allah says, so what was the response from Allah? Ja'ahum nasruna. Allah says, our help came to them. Now, once again, the word for something to come, for something to arrive, there are two words. Even in Quranic vocabulary, in terms of the Quran, there are two words. One word is ata, and one word is ja'a. Ata is a lighter word. Ja'a is a very heavy word. A very powerful word. And even in the pronunciation, don't they sound like that? Ata, ja'a. Ja'a, right? Even the pronunciation for the Arabs, that's a stronger pronunciation. Right? So, it's a very, very strong word. So Allah doesn't say that our help just came to them. Our help came down with a flurry. Like our help rained down on them. It poured down on them. It arrived big time. Ja'ahum nasluna. Our help didn't just come to them. It just poured down onto them. So whereas Allah uses a strong word to express the frustration, Allah uses an even stronger word to express the level of help that came from Allah for their situations. Allah says, we can rescue whomsoever we will. Meaning no situation is too difficult. No adversity is insurmountable. Allah's help, Allah's mercy can rescue and save anyone at any time, in any place, in any situation. And I just want you to leave you with this thought. Like I said, being a young person today, in today's global culture, but particularly because this is what we're familiar with, with the culture we live in, the environment we live in, and then being a young person on campus, and then on top of that with the political issues that are going on, the political discourse that is going on in this country, the portrayal of Muslims and Islam that's going on currently today, globally in the media, being, it can get really, really tough sometimes. But realize that no matter how frustrating it gets, the help of Allah overcomes it. And no matter how frustrated you are, the help of Allah will come accordingly to rescue you and to save you out of your frustration. You only have one responsibility. Never lose hope. Don't ever lose hope. Keep your connection with Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make a way. He made a way for Yusuf. He made a way for the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And He'll make a way for us as well. Jazakumullah khair.
السلام عليكم الله اكبر questions yes is Sayyidina Yusuf mentioned in the was he mentioned like in He's one of the messengers that is mentioned quite often in uh, the other scriptures as well. And his father as well? Yes, absolutely. Uh, just real quick, uh, please keep your questions as relevant to the topic as possible, uh, inshallah. One thing, I forgot to mention, I told you guys I would forget at the very end. All right. So, I told you. <laughs> so, so in, the, in the second ayah, I told you that Allah says, إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ قُرْآنًا عَرَبِيًّا We revealed, we sent down this Qur'an in the Arabic language. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ So that you'd be able to comprehend it. You'd be able to really ponder on it, make sense of it. Allah sent down the Qur'an in Arabic, that's fact. But there's also wisdom in this. The classical ancient form of the Arabic language is unmatched. In its, in its eloquence, in its fluidity, in its... Uh, brevity and conciseness and comprehensiveness. And learning Arabic is an extremely, classical Arabic, is an extremely important part of our experience as Muslims. Because unless and until we take that upon ourselves, we cannot for ourselves, personally, experience the Qur'an or the words of the Messenger the sources of our religion, we just won't be able to do so. So learning Arabic is very important. Now everybody's familiar with Bayna the institute that uh, I, I work with, and um, we specialize in providing Arabic education to Muslims, or to any, uh, anyone regardless, but specifically because we focus more so on Qur'an and classical Arabic, so usually it's Muslims that benefit from what we have to offer. And we have varying types of programs from traveling seminars. Uh, we have, by the way, online, we have these uh, tafsir recordings, tafsir podcasts. You can find us in iTunes or on our website. And we systematically are going through the tafsir of the Qur'an in the English language, very in-depth. Like Surah Al-Mulk, which is about 30 verses, it took me about, I think it's about six and a half hours worth of lecturing on those 30 verses, Surah Al-Mulk. Um, so it's very in-depth, it's deep analysis, and we're doing that and it's free. We openly provide it, you can find it, you can download it to your phone and find it on our website, subscribe to it, etc., whatever. So you can check it on our web website, just look for, or Google, Begin a Podcast. You'll find it, inshallah. Um, so there are multiple programs that we have. We have a full-time program that we offer as well. It's a 10-month full-time on-location program located in Dallas, Texas. Um, and that's another great program we have going on, and that's a great commitment a lot of people are making. Another program that we are offering this year is a summer intensive. And we're a summer program. We're calling it the Quran Intensive. This will be a 30-day program, a one-month program. It'll be 30 days continuous non-stop study. Uh, it'll be in Dallas, Texas. And what these 30 days will involve is that it'll be for 30 days non-stop, it'll be six hours a day of classical Arabic grammar, classical Arabic study, intensive. Um, and the amount of Arabic grammar that you will be able to grasp within this one month is um, if you were to study part-time, and what I mean by part-time is twice a week for a couple of hours each session. If you were to embark on a, a, that type of a study of the Arabic grammar, uh, Arabic language and classical grammar, what you would accomplish in about six to eight months is what, inshallah, you will get done in 30 days in a month. Because it's full-time. It just allows for greater and faster progression. 
Along with that, what else will be involved with the courses aside from the six hours a day of classical grammar that you'll study in the morning? Every day in the evening, there'll be an hour and a half of tafsir of Quran. Every day, inshallah. And so this is a program that we're offering. This is uh, a program that we're offering specifically this year. And uh, you can get more details about this at beginasummer.com. I just wanted to share the details with you about that program. Take a look at it, if it fits your needs, if it fits your situation. And please do look into it, please explore it, because the worst thing I hear, the worst thing, the, the thing I hate the most hearing from people when we travel around, when we go around and we get to meet people like yourselves, is that, uh, oh, I never knew about that program. Otherwise I would have wanted to take it or benefit from it. And so, inshallah, I just wanted to tell you about it myself. Please look into it, you can find all the detail on our website. Um, and inshallah, see if that's something that would benefit you. And uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless all of us with the ability to read his book and understand his book and engage and live by his book, inshallah. And share it and spread it with the rest of humanity. Like, if there's any more questions, sorry about the interruption. Just take two more questions if there are any. See, I always wonder about that. Like, no questions? Is that is that a good thing or a bad thing? So either means I did such a great job explaining everything, nobody has a question? Or nobody wants to ask this bozo any more questions. <laughs> so he doesn't start talking again, right? Because it's, uh, it's what time? It's 10 o'clock. No, it's 9.30. It's 9.30. Shame on you, brother. Shame on you. Oh, is this sister? Yes. Yes, go ahead, please. Again, that line can only be discovered once you at least get to that point. You see what I'm saying? Like I understand for some people, especially with, don't worry, all right, it's a safe zone. But um, with some people's parents, it can literally be like playing with fire. So, and I understand that's a scary thought. And sometimes life just seems a lot more convenient in just going about the way things are. At least we're not fighting. At least things aren't going on. Everybody just kind of ignores themselves and minds their own business. But like I said, things get worse over time. And things deteriorate over time. And um, so it's okay. Maybe there will be a little bit of, maybe you'll get burned the first time. You know, you reach out. But that way you at least know how hard to press and how light to touch. You can only find that out by first reaching out. So the pot sitting on the stove, I don't know how hot it is until I kind of just wave my hand at least near it, right? Like the iron, can't you just kind of wave your hand near and say, all right, it's hot now, right? So there's got to be some way to figure out how hot, the, how hot the iron is, and that's by going near it. There's no way getting around that. Okay, one more question? Zay, Zay. Uh, earlier question. Um, why is it that it's V U Sufa? Oh, very good. Should I ask you? <laughs> you. Sabir, I'm talking to you. Should I ask you? Alright. <laughs> the, re the, reason, the reason why I picked on him is because during the summer I taught a 10 day, uh, 10 evening Arabic course uh, in, in, uh, in Orange County at, Gar at the Garden Grove Masjid. Sabir was there taking the course. And I specifically taught this issue within that course. But, <laughs> but I know I called him out, but... No, the Yusufa. Fee, okay, so normally what the brother asked is, the word fee 
usually results in the following word being in the e, ending in the e sound. So normally it should be figusu fi, but here it's figusu fa. It ends with an a sound instead of an e sound. The reason for that is there are certain words in the Arabic language that are called partly flexible. They're not fully flexible. They are partly flexible. And specifically, foreign names. What I mean by foreign is not to us in English, but in the Arabic language. Names that are considered foreign to classical Arabic are considered partly flexible, and so they never take on the E sound, they always have the A sound. So even when they are supposed to have the E sound, even in that case they have the A sound. And that's done as an indicator, so that you can right away know that this is a foreigner. Right, immigrant. Right. <laughs> Anyways. All right.